Uh, as I was standing in the back waiting to come up here and speak, I was thinking of Psalm 142, 1, uh, where God's word says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And there is no place I'd rather be this morning. Uh, when I was driving in today, I was thinking of this. Um, in a world that is just broken and chaotic, and it's just a mess, and it's constant negative, um, we get to come to one of heaven's embassies today, right? We're an outpost of truth and the gospel of a greater kingdom that awaits the believer when we put our hope and trust in Jesus. And so when we gather here, we sing of a king who someday we will go live with forever. Uh, we gather as a community in which we'll stay together forever. So, Hopefully some of us, most of us, some of you are all like, we don't want you to come, but man, we are going to worship together Jesus and it's going to be amazing. And what we do here is simply a glimpse of what is to come in a place called heaven. And I am so excited. There's no other place I'd rather be than standing right here with you proclaiming the truth of God. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open to Psalm chapter 42. With me, Psalm chapter 42, as we are in part four of our little mini-series within a series called Mental Health and the Bible, as we're trying to frame these things in from a biblical worldview and a scriptural perspective, trying to understand and to grow and to learn and to hopefully heal uh, from many of these things that ail God's people. Um, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word at Living Hope, one of our values is that we are for the gospel meaning that we elevate and celebrate Jesus and also the Word of God. Psalm 42, we're going to read all the verses in here, 11 verses, and David writes this. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Verse 5, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 6, I am deeply depressed. There's our topic today. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from the Mount of Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your billows, they have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Because I must go about in sorrow because of my enemy's oppression. My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where's your God? In verse 11, why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Here it is. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this day, Father, for the gathering of your people in your house to study your word for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom in your earth. God, may we never, ever, ever get over Jesus. Father, when we go through these scriptures today, Lord, what can be a sensitive and a touchy topic? Would you give us an extra measure of grace today? Would your spirit dwell in this place, Lord, a tangible presence of your spirit? Because God, we need him. Father, we pray most of all that Jesus is made big today because that's why we gather. Give us ears to hear, Lord, hearts 
to receive, hands and feet to live out your word as we chase Jesus the rest of our week, Lord, Monday through Saturday. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In my home, typically grocery shopping happens on late Sunday afternoon into early evening. And I tell you this story because I like to frame in how I am typically feeling when we approach some of these difficult subjects. And when I go to the grocery store, I'm a typical man. I can get in and out of the grocery store in 30 minutes or less because I know what I want, where it is, and where to find it, and I'm going to bring it home. I don't need to gander. I don't need to mosey about. I got a mission, and I'm going to do that. That's why I go to the grocery store. And so I come home, and typically uh, I'm met in the driveway, pull up in our driveway. I'm met by two tiny humans, my two daughters, Colby and Sophia. Well, being a tough guy, I'm sure many of you are like this. Although the distance from the trunk of my vehicle to my front door is only about 15 feet, that's a lot of distance. And so being a tough guy, I typically try to carry groceries all in one trip. I try to load up every, each side of my arm. I load up every finger with all the bags that I can possibly carry because I don't want to make more than one trip to carry groceries into my house. Well, typically, those two little girls meet me at the door and Sophia, my oldest, eight years old, sees that there's work to be done, and she's like, nah, I'm out. I'm going to go sit on the couch. <laughs> but my youngest daughter, Colby, she loves to participate in things, and she always says, Daddy, I want to help. Daddy, I want to help. And so before I take all those groceries all over my arms, I'll give her a bag of groceries, and I'll say, all right, baby, you carry this one into the house. And Colby will take that small bag of groceries, and without fail, every Sunday afternoon, it'll happen today, I guarantee it. She'll carry that bag about three or four feet. She'll sit it down on the grass of our front yard and she'll say these words, Daddy, it's too heavy. I need you to carry it. Typically, it's a loaf of bread. <laughs> and you know, as I was processing for many hours this week, Psalm 42, this issue of depression, how do we frame this in from a biblical worldview, a, a scriptural perspective, um, that story expresses how I feel today. This is so heavy. I don't know if it is for you, but this is heavy for me. These last four weeks, without exaggeration, have been some of the most challenging and difficult that I've ever uh, taught in ministry. Because the, the, the weight that these topics bring, the, 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 man, the, there is so much at stake in the topic of mental health that if mishandled or done incorrectly, could actually do more harm than good. And, and I, I covet your prayers this morning as we are gathered this morning, as we're reading the scriptures, just in the, the whisper of your breath, in the silence of your mind, pray for me because so much of what I've been doing this week as I've been taking notes and typing and reading and studying, I've been praying that simple prayer, Dad, this is too heavy, you carry it. It's where I feel, especially when it comes to this topic of depression. You know, most of us know somebody that battles with depression. Maybe it's you personally, caused by some outside source. Sometimes it's seasonal issues. Sometimes there's been trauma in our past, other factors that maybe we won't mention today, but it's real and it's prevalent and it's tragic and it's affecting believers. And this morning, rather than give you a definition of depression, I want to do like we did with anxiety a couple weeks ago, and I want to paint you a picture. Because I think sometimes a painting expresses the depth of the emotion that a definition is not going to do for us. And so if you don't struggle with this, I want to help you see what this is like for the afflicted individuals. Depression is this, and this sets the stage for we're going in Psalm 42 here in a moment. Depression is like a dark, heavy cloud that hovers over one's soul. 
It bears a heaviness and a weight that no wind can blow away. No ray of sun could even break through. It just sits there, pressing with no relief in sight. Depending on your source, you'll see that roughly 6 to 10% of Americans struggle with this mental illness. My heart broke this week when I was reading a journal article, and it said from March to August 2020 that one in four adults has contemplated suicide as a result of depression. It's 25% in this country. Think of your coworkers, your friends, your family. The silent battle that so many people face Yet it's so common that one article I was reading said that we often view depression as the common cold of mental illness. It's so common, it's become so normalized, but the reality is that this epidemic, let's call it that, should absolutely break our souls. Can I reiterate again, as we did with anxiety and all other mental health issues, if this is real for you and you feel like a dark day and you're not sure if you can make it to tomorrow, let's get help today. Please don't wait. The scriptures are going to be helpful in the healing process. I believe that. But if you need help today, please let us know so we can help you. Secondly, when we talk about depression, I also want to make sure we understand, if you haven't been with us thus far, of the interconnectedness between the spiritual and the physical in the human body. You see, God created us in Genesis as physical beings. Genesis 2 and 3, we read that. God took the dust of the earth. He formed it into a human body. That's physical. That's your skin, that's your organs, that's your brain, your eyes, your your physical being. But the scriptures also say that then God breathed life into the physical. That's your soul, that's your mind, your, your will, your emotions, your soul. What's interesting about the human makeup is that our mind is where the physical and the spiritual interconnect. That's where they intersect. And so that's what makes this discussion of mental health so difficult if we're not cautious. We said the past three weeks that there will be times where medicine is required to help alleviate and to help heal the physical. That's okay. That's biblical. Yet at the same time, for the follower of Jesus, let's not neglect the spiritual. That oftentimes there's a spiritual reality that needs to be dealt with when it comes to the arena of mental health. And we need to deal with that. We're going to deal with it today. So let's let the word of God speak hope into this reality. I shared two more stories with you. Many of you have probably heard of a gentleman named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is one of the greatest preachers that has ever walked on the face of the earth. He's actually known as the Prince of Preachers. It broke my heart this week reading stories of Spurgeon, a, a man that, that, man, I've looked up to for many years in my life personally as I've studied for ministry. Spurgeon pastored a church of 15,000 people. Yet he wrote often in his journals that he wanted to quit ministry because depression weighed so heavily on his soul. One time in a message given to his large congregation, he told them this, I've spent more days shut up in depression than anybody else seated in here. Wow. You've probably heard of Martin Luther before, the catalyst of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, we owe a lot to with the way that church functions now in our modern days. In his journals, we read things like his. His depression would get so dark and so heavy that his sweet wife would have to hide every knife in their house in fear that Martin Luther was going to harm himself. 
He wrote in a journal one time, For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell, where I trembled constantly. I could find no thoughts of Jesus, only thoughts of desperation and despair. Friends, I just want us to understand today, and we're going to see it in the life of David as well, that you can be a Jesus follower and still fight this. We're not immune to some of these mental health issues. Let's look at Psalm chapter 42 today. This is written by King David. You're probably familiar with him. Throughout the Psalms, we see David battling with different bouts of depression. What's neat about Psalm 42, and it may actually say this in your header, that this was actually written to be sung as a song to the sons of Korah. They were basically the worship team in the temple. And when David penned this psalm, he's penning this psalm to be sung in the temple, but it was meant to be very instructive in nature. You ever noticed how songs have a way of sticking in your mind? That there are certain songs, you only have to hear it once or twice, and all of a sudden you're, you're walking in your house, and maybe you're washing the dishes or something, you start humming something, some sort of country song or whatever it is, and you're like, huh, I didn't even know I knew the words to that. That's why often David would do this, because he's putting instructive truth in the form of a song to implant it into our hearts. And I want us to look at this example that David gives us, that when the dark cloud of depression is looming over my soul, what does the Word of God teach to give me hope? Three things this morning, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to do this. First, understand with depression, man, this is so important, that your sorrow is not sinful. Your sorrow is not sinful. Look what David says in verses 6 to 7 again. I'm deeply depressed. Verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows, they have spread over me. I think one of the most perpetuated and dangerous lies in the church, and I've been guilty of this too, is that if I feel depression in my life, if I have sorrow, I must be sinning. Friends, that's a lie. And that is not true according to the word of God. I cautiously say that, but let me explain. Verse 6, David says, I'm deeply depressed. We just read those words. That's a word that means I'm I'm cast down. I I am literally being crushed by the weight of the world around me. I am flattened out. We talk about the weight of depression. In verse 7, he moves to this illustration of water. It's like this idea of just being cast in this spiral current that you can't escape. If you've ever been to the ocean before, we talked last week how there's ocean people and mountain people. Ocean people are the chosen ones of God. Mountain people, we don't know about you. But if you've ever been to the ocean before, you've probably been out in the water where you get just, just trampled by a wave. And it knocks you off your feet. And then, you know, if you're not a great swimmer like me, you just get kind of caught in this like cycle where you stand up and you get crushed again. And you stand up and you're crushed. That's what David's talking about here. Descriptive, strong language to express the depth of his sorrow. But church, understand that sorrow is not sinful. If you're like me, sometimes I can get caught. I've struggled with depression, still occasionally do. I get caught in this idea that I just need to like pull up my bootstraps, suck it up a little bit, and just rejoice in the Lord. That's not a solution, friends. It doesn't work that way. And David gives us a glimpse into that. Hey, let me make sure we understand this too. This is important. My wife and I talked about this. You know there's two kinds of biblical sorrow? There's two kinds of biblical sorrow. There's, there's, there's sorrow of repentance, which we'll talk about in a second. But then there's also sorrow of longing. There's sorrow of repentance and there's sorrow of longing. You see, there's sometimes, and I cautiously say this, 
that the reason that maybe we are depressed, and again, I don't think this is always the case, but if you get to the root of your depression and the root of your sorrow, that there's sometimes that we are depressed as Jesus followers because there's unrepentant sin that's present in our life. You know you can't walk closely with Jesus and also walk closely with sin at the same time. It's an impossibility. Yet often we try to, and we wonder why there's a dark cloud looming over us. It's because we need to repent of unconfessed sin. Think of King David with his adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm chapter 51, you can read about that. That's a, that's a sorrow that leads to repentance. I think the more common one that most people struggle with is the sorrow of longing. Where we observe the world around us, we experience the world around us, we see brokenness around us, the fallen nature that sin has corrupted our society, and it simply cuts to the depths of our soul, and we feel sorrow. Have you ever asked somebody, my, my wife has asked this to me before when I've gotten kind of these bouts of depression, she's like, what's wrong? And the response is this, I don't know. I don't know. There is just a weight that is pressing on my shoulders right now that I don't know what to do with. Well, what's, the, what's causing it? I don't know. Can I tell you what that is? It's sorrow of longing. Because we see brokenness, we experience brokenness, we observe all of this brokenness around us, and you know what we long for? Restoration. And often our soul doesn't know what to do with that. You know, Jesus felt sorrow too. Why? John chapter 11, when his friend Lazarus died, the Bible says that Jesus like, cried over that. Why? Because brokenness brought, brought death, and that brought sorrow to the shoulders of Jesus. He felt it. There was a brokenness, a reality that he was experiencing. Luke chapter 22, when Jesus approached the cross, he felt sorrow. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating blood. He was pleading with God, take this from me, Lord. But above all else, your will be done. He was feeling sorrow in that moment. Why? Because his body had to be broken for the brokenness of the world around us. Look what David said in verse 2. He said, I, I thirst. You know what that feels like to be parched? I thirst for what? The living God. When I can come and just appear before him. David longed to be in a place called heaven, but he also understood that God had work for him to do on earth. I believe that often the reason that we feel this looming cloud of depression as followers of Christ is that we're longing for something that's only going to be found in heaven in the person of Jesus. And friends, understand this, that if God has left us here, Ephesians 1, He's still conforming you to the image of Jesus. He tells us to expect suffering in this world. He tells us that there will be dark days. Read the New Testament, but also understand that the longing that you may feel that sometimes you can't verbalize is normal, and it's not sinful, that you long for a place called heaven. So ensure that when you have those feelings, fix your hope there. Don't fix them on the emotion you feel. Don't fix them on the brokenness that weighs on you. Fix them on the Jesus who's going to fix it. I'm going to talk about that more at the end of our message. It's okay to feel sorrow, but don't put your hope there. Number two, don't believe the convincing lies. The convincing lies. Look at what David says in verse 5. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God is what he says. Understand if you suffer from depression or maybe you have a family member or a friend that does, in the throes of that reality that some lies are going to be masked as truth. Friends, I've had those days 
I'm, I'm hesitant to get too vulnerable. Um, I've had those days, even recently in the past month, where I have literally, it feels like, been anchored to my bed. Where there is a cloud and a weight of despair that weighs so heavily on my soul that I literally can't move. And if you haven't experienced it, it's hard to explain. It's a looming cloud that no sun can break through, as we said. You may look at that and you go, oh, you need to suck it up and be a man. It doesn't work that way. I've laid there in my bed where I just physically can't move because there's so much despair over my soul. And here's what I've learned, and David teaches us on this in verse 5 and verse 11. When you're in that state, it's amazing the lies that you'll begin to believe. You'll begin to believe things. I've done this. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll be this way forever. They're going to be better off without you. Getting real here. What do we do with that? What do we do when, when we feel that? Last week we said this. Last week we, we talked about our mind and we need to think about what we think about. This week with depression, here's another principle for you. Learn to talk to yourself. Don't be the guy that walks around Walmart talking to himself. Those are the people we call the cops on, okay? We're not talking about that. I'm talking just very practically. When the weight of depression bears down on you, you need to learn to talk to yourself. David says this in verses 5 and 11. He says, my soul... Why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? He says, soul, what the heck is wrong with you? David literally calls himself out. And rather than let his depression take root in him, rather David tells his depression to take a daggone hike. He says, get out of here. Why? Because sometimes feelings may feel true, but they're not true. Feelings are liars. You hear that? I am so fed up in this culture. You just need to follow your heart. Feel your feel. Find your truth. That's stupid. Can we preach this morning? Feelings are liars. I don't want to simplify this too much, but this helped me understand it. Think about back maybe when you were in high school and you had your first love. I remember that for me. I was 16 years old dated the girl for three years. We were going to get married. We were going to have the house on the hill with the white picket fence up there. You got butterflies every time you were around the person. Man, we were going to have two and a half kids. A golden, we were going to have a golden retriever. The perfect job, the perfect family. We've all been there because what were you? We were in love. And then youth camp ends. Remember that? And she drops you like a sack of Idaho potatoes like you never even mattered. Hey, think about this. Was the feeling of love that you felt in that moment real for you? My goodness, yes, it was. But was it real in the perspective of your entire life? Absolutely not. You see, sometimes feelings may feel real in the moment, but they're false in perspective. And we have to learn to talk to ourselves to remind ourselves of what is true and confront lies when they try to convince us they are true. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'm going to read this whole thing. He wrote this book called Spiritual Depression. I encourage you to read it if this is an area that's going to be helpful for you. But listen to what he says here. <laughs> this is good. He says, if you realize that most of the depression you experience in your life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself, hello. We listen to ourselves more than we talk to ourselves. He says, you wake up in the morning and you have these thoughts that come into your mind and you go, where do these come from? Where do they originate? 
Problems from yesterday, problems of tomorrow, problems of next year. What is that? It's yourself talking to you. He says, look at Psalm chapter 42. What does David do? Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. David says in verse 5 and verse 11, Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you so dejected? David stands up, and I love this phrase that Martin Lloyd-Jones uses. He says, he looks at himself and says, Self, listen up. I'm about to talk to you. Man, we need to learn to do that more. Rather than let these lies take false root in our hearts, let's speak the truth of God's Word back to ourselves. That I'm loved, and I'm valuable, and I'm cherished, and I'm chosen, and I'm purposeful. That's true. Don't believe the lies. Believe what Jesus says about you from His Word. Tell depression to take a daggone hike. Anyways, number three. This is my favorite. You ready for this? You need to find comfort in confusion. Find comfort in confusion. You know the solution to everything that ails us? Ready for my church answer? It's the gospel. Why is that? Because it's true. The gospel is the solution. But do you know the gospel can manifest itself in so many forms? The truth of the gospel remains. The manifestation of how the message is spread is going to change. And God can speak the truth of the gospel into your heart in many ways if they're rooted in His Word. Hey, three ways this is going to happen. Comfort and the confusion. Ooh, you ready for this? Number one, your identity is not in your depression. We said that with the anxiety a couple weeks ago. Look at verse four. I love this. David says, you know what I remember? Man, going to the house of God. The festive procession of going to the house of God. Why was that? Because he remembered when his identity wasn't rooted in his struggle, but it was rooted in his God, in his Lord. Friends, hear me today. We talked about this with anxiety a couple weeks ago. Nobody's defined by their mental health battle. Nobody's defined by their depression. You're not defined by anxiety. You're defined by Jesus. The moment you allow your mental health struggle to define you, you have allowed that to become the Lord of your life, not Jesus, who Romans chapter 10 says is Lord of your life. Hey, since we're here, let's go ahead and cover this real quick. You're also not defined by your sexuality. You're also not defined by your political party. You're also not defined by your vocation. You're also not defined by where you live. We can keep going all day. Man, we need to hear that. I'm not, a, I'm not a Republican and then a Jesus follower. I'm a Jesus follower who happens to enjoy and like what these people stand on. I'm not a Democrat and then a Jesus follower. I'm actually a Jesus follower who follows their platform. Hey, do we understand that? Pastor Joe, goodness, get ready for your email to fill up. Listen, we become too comfortable in the church by identifying things with, that are not Jesus. Oh, I feel like we've got a series being born right here. We're defined by Christ, not depression, not anxiety, nothing else. Jesus, he's Lord of my life. That's it. Romans 6, 11. We talked about that two weeks ago. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians chapter uh, 4 says. I'm with Christ. Hey, here's the second one. Don't neglect biblical community. Biblical community. Look at what David does when he remembers in verse 4. He says, I remember as I pour out my heart. What did he do? How I walked with the many. With the many to the house of God. While feelings can often feel real, they don't often reflect reality. Why do we need biblical community as followers of Jesus? Because sometimes in my depressed state, I can't see clearly. So I need somebody to take my hand and walk with me. You ever been in a mirror maze before? 
You're running around smacking your face all over the place. What do you need? You need a partner to walk with you, to guide you. If you're blind or have a blindfold over your face, you can only get so far before you hit a wall. What do you need? Somebody to grab your hand and go with you. Galatians 6.2 says this, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. If we want to live the gospel well as Jesus followers and live it to other people, we got to start living this out. Biblical community. Remember we said last week, this is a little review. We need more Christians that are empathetic, not just sympathetic. Sympathy says, I understand, and I, man, I feel bad that you feel that way. Empathy says, let me get underneath this with you. Let me cry with you. Let me be burdened with you. Let me bear the weight of your struggle with you. That's what we need in the church. We got a lot of sympathy. I'll pray for you, brother. No, you won't. You know what empathy looks like? Let's pray right now. And I'm going to call you Tuesday. And I'm going to text you Friday. And this Saturday, we're going to get breakfast. See the difference? we got a whole lot of sympathy and not enough empathy. And if we're going to defeat the mental health battle in the church of Jesus Christ in our generation, you know what it's going to take? Empathetic Christians getting under the weight of the mental health crisis with other people. Here's my favorite one, and we're done. we got to learn to sing again. Oh, this is so good. Notice what David says, what he remembers. He said, I went to the house of God with what? With joyful and thankful shouts. Look at this, verse 8. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. And what is it? His song is going to be with me at night. You know, in the scriptures, in their entirety, there's 400 references to singing in the Bible. There's actually 50 direct commands for the people of God to sing. Why is that? Man, when it comes to the mental health crisis, hear me, this is so freeing this morning. Don't underestimate the power of singing. Okay? Do not underestimate the power of singing. Why? Because what you sing matters. Hear me, if all you sing about is like the country songs about losing your 401k and your dog ran away and your wife left you for Bubba down the street and all that crazy stuff, you know what you sing implants itself in your mind. So what we sing matters. As as Jesus followers, if we sing songs that are uplifting, songs that are happy in tone, Let me get a little psychological and scientist on you. Do you know what that releases in your brain when you sing happy things? Endorphins. If you've seen Legally Blonde, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Happy people don't kill people. Anyways, if you've never seen that, it's on Netflix. Feel free to watch later today. But anyways, your brain releases endorphins. Do you know what endorphins are? It's like God designed this whole thing. Would you imagine that? Endorphins are chemicals in your mind that actually relieve depressed thoughts. They actually make you happy. That's pretty unbelievable. How do they come about? They sing about happy things. It gets even better. I didn't know this till this week. I about took a lap in my office. It would have been a short lap, but I'd have done it. Check this out. Your brain, not only when you sing, Pastor Joe, this is cool. You need this, man. You ready? It releases endorphins. Watch this. It also releases a chemical called oxytocin. Ready for this? Oxytocin is a natural stress reliever in the human body. You know what else oxytocin does? I read this in a very scientific magazine this week. I'm dead serious. It forms trust bonds. Now watch. Do you know why at Living Hope, we have two pillars of the songs that we sing? It has to sing about God, and it has to be saturated in his word. Why do we do that? 
Because when we sing at this church, there's a chemical reaction. We didn't realize this till this week. This is incredible. There's a chemical reaction that happens in your brain where you learn to trust what you're singing about. You know if you sing songs that are simply about you and how you feel and about the world and possessions and things and materialistic stuff, you know what you learn to trust as a human? That stuff. Why? Because of oxytocin. But if you sing happy, uplifting songs about the God of the universe and the sufficiency of his word, you know what's going to happen in you as a Jesus follower? You're going to learn to trust him and his word more and more, even when you're struggling with depression. It's like God rigged the whole thing. <laughs> it's like he knew. <laughs> hey, let me go one more layer deep with that. They did tons of studies on this. This is so important. You know, too, that's good, and we need to do that. You know, also what makes the local church so significant and unique as we sing songs about God and about the sufficiency of his word in community. Why do we do that? Because we don't only form trust bonds with the one we're singing about and the sufficiency of his scriptures, but because of oxytocin, we form trust bonds with those we sing with. I've watched, there's all these like high school groups, like all these singers, all this like crazy, they sing and dance. And so I don't understand it, but they do it and they love it. You know, those are some of the most tight-knit groups in high schools. Why is that? Because they sing together. They sing happy, uplifting stuff together, and they form bonds of trust between one another. What did we say a Christian needs to thrive out of a depressed state? Community. Why do we sing together? Because it forms bonds of community with one another. You, you're singing about the same thing together, and it's binding you together as the people of God. God knew what he was doing. Hey, think about this. I want to share with you an experience I had a couple years ago that I think sums this up, and we're done. Um, about three years ago, I've, I think I've shared this story before, my daughter Sophia was going to kindergarten, and she was so excited. I'll never forget, she told me, she said, I asked her a couple days before, I said, Sophia, what are you most excited about kindergarten? She said, Daddy, did you know they have people there that if you make a mess, they have to clean up after you? <laughs> and she was like five at the time. I said, janitors? She said, yeah, that's going to be great. <laughs> and so we kind of laughed, and she got up the next day. I think she started school on a Wednesday, because that makes sense, and uh, went on the bus, and she came home. I think it was Thursday or Friday night. I believe it was Friday. She'd kind of had a rough few days. Kids were pulling her hair. Sophia's very social, and so if people don't like her, it bothers her deeply. And uh, I remember sitting up in her room. We were tucking her in bed, and I was asking her about school. My five-year-old daughter just began to weep profusely. And my wife was kind of in and out of the room. and I mean, she's just weeping. And I put my arm around her, and I said, Sophia, what's wrong? And through her tears, she said, Daddy, I don't want to go back. I said, well, Sophia, you have to go back to school. You need this. That's how you grow as a person. And I'm just sobbing uncontrollably. She said, Daddy, don't make me. I don't, I don't want to go back. They're, they're, they're mean to me there. I, I don't want to go back. And I said, all right, Sophia, let's, let's talk through this. You need to. And, and we're going to work through some of the stuff that's ailing you, but you have to go back to school. You need this. And that moment has imprinted in my heart as a father. Because I love my girls more than anything on planet Earth. And even in her tears and her struggle, I knew that she needed to go someplace that was going to hurt her soul a little bit. But eventually, kindergarten would be over. And she could come home for good. Friends, if there's one way I could illustrate outside of the scriptures, if you're walking in the depressed state, can I tell you that, that 
the Father understands. And I know I've been in that boat too where I've sat there and it feels like I'm just weeping on the lap of God saying, Lord, I don't want to go back. Lord, it's too heavy here. God, there's, there's so much struggle and so much pain and so much brokenness, Lord. And it just feels like it weighs on my shoulders. And the Father simply reminds me, I know, I get it. You're only going to have to stay there for a little longer and then you get to come home. But there's something I still have to form in you. Ephesians 1, Philippians 1 says that we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And you may live with this weight of depression on your shoulders, and sometimes we just have to sit before the Father and weep about it. That's okay, sorrow's not sinful. But trust the heart of God. Someday in his time, not ours, He'll make all things right again. And that's where we put our hope. He's a loving father. I don't understand it all now, but I know I can trust him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for our time in your word today. God, I pray that my feeble words would be transformed by the power of your spirit. Father, as Romans talks about, Lord, that you would take my unspoken groanings and, and Father, just simply translate them. God, would you do a work in the hearts and in the souls of men and women in this room, Lord, those that are listening in other avenues. God, and cause us to trust you more. In the throes of despair, Lord, may we trust you more. In the anguish of brokenness that we experience, Father, may we trust you more because you're worthy. Father, thanks for our time in the scriptures today. God, I pray now as we sing, that God would be a sweet sound through the throne of heaven. We love you, Jesus. Your name.